still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every If you're visiting with us, you are our honored guest. We're so glad you chose to be here with us this morning. Our full-time evangelist, Phil Robertson, is preaching in Texas this weekend, so he asked me to fill in. And if you remember, Phil told us that you were going to have some guest speakers. He just didn't tell you they'd all be good. <laughs> Tanner found out I was preaching. My youngest son found out I was preaching this morning and had to be carried out crying. It's true. We're going to continue this look that we've spent this year so far in the church at Ephesus, looking into the lessons that we can learn from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus from their history. And just a real quick plug for the Ephesians podcast that's going on that Mark Sr. and Phil are doing right now. Really encourage you, if you haven't taken the time to to listen to that, there are about 20-minute episodes. I'm only on episode five. I've got to catch up, but... The first few episodes sort of go into the history of the church, and then starting about episode three and forward, they actually dive into each chapter and go through the lessons we can learn. And the the amount of knowledge in these 20-minute episodes is just phenomenal. So if you haven't had a chance to to listen, please please take the time to do that. Super convenient. Earpods, whatever's going on in your car, you can listen to it. Like I said, 20-minute episodes, and they're really great. But this morning, we're going to be talking about Paul's call to change and his exhortation to the church to continue this building to the new man, to put, continue putting away the old man, to continue moving away from who we were before and moving towards who we are in Jesus, who we are as Christians. And our subject text this morning is going to be from Ephesians chapter 4. And starting in verse 17. Then I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Have you ever heard of a character arc when you're watching a show, maybe a movie, and you have a main character and this character sort of undergoes a change. It's called the character arc. Maybe they start out really good and they undergo this substantive change to maybe then they're bad. Or maybe they're bad and they go undergo this change, which is my favorite, when they're bad and they turn good. That's my favorite. But there's this character arc. But as Christians, if we kind of think about it, our character arc is more like a circle. You know, I look at my, my kids as they're growing up and, and as they're toddlers. They're so innocent. 
Nothing, they don't worry about anything. They know everything's going to be taken care of. Everything's going to be fine. They're so close to God. They're so close at that point to being like Jesus, right? Well, then at some point, we get older. We start growing away from Jesus. We start, you know, taking on the world. We get beat down by the world. We start sort of changing into a person that isn't so much like Jesus anymore. Then we realize, hey, there's a big gap here now between me and Jesus, between me and God. And I feel that. I feel that gap. We spend the rest of our lives, once we commit to Jesus and we commit to change and we commit to this call to change, we start trying to make our way back to Jesus, sort of like a circle. And we spend our entire lives trying to recapture that innocence that we had. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18 that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we're trying to recapture that innocence. We're trying, even though we had this battle going on inside of us, right? Between the spirit and the flesh. We have to live in the world, but we're called to be different. We're called to swim against the current. We're called to transform, is Paul's exhortation here. This transformation takes action. We understand that, right? Because in verse 22, it says that you're to put off your old self, put on the new self, put off the corruptible, put on the incorruptible. I sort of think about this in a very literal sense, like taking off clothes, putting on clothes. If you've ever been in, in Florida in the summer heat, which we all have, and you've worked all day, those clothes can be pretty corruptible that you're going to take off, right? I've taken off some pretty corruptible clothes in the house that probably should have gone straight to the washing machine. We get a shower, and then we put on the clean clothes. And as Christians, we're then clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We put on the incorruptible, no longer to be corrupted. Righteousness in Christ. Yes, we're saved and redeemed through Christ, but we're called to action. We're called to transformation. And this transformation not only takes action, but it takes work. And we understand that. When I was about 14, I decided, having never played organized football before, that I would go out and join the junior varsity team in Newberry. And for some odd reason, they decided to put me on the offensive line instead of playing wide receiver. <laughs> Y'all know something I don't? <laughs> I had no idea. I just learned to pick up a football and throw it. I really didn't know anything about football. And in game one, we had this play, and I'm, I'm a football nerd, so I'm going to go into it. Sorry. It's trap left, counter right, okay? So we, we fake, we trap left, the running back goes left. I'm the pulling guard, I'm the left guard. So everybody blocks down, and I'm supposed to pull and kick out the defensive end. And coach said, Brett, if the defensive end's not there, go find somebody to block. Well, the defensive end wasn't there. And I ran down the field in a full sprint, like the scene from Forrest Gump. <laughs> and do you know where I ended? The fence at the back of the end zone having not blocked anyone, but having made it all the way to the end. We watched film the next week, and I had outrun our running back, which says two things. I was bad, and he was bad, if I outran him. But I continued to work, right? I continued to commit to this transformation. I wanted to be a good football player. I didn't want to embarrass my family anymore. And so I continued to work, and by the last game, the coach called a huddle, and he said, guys, I want to tell you something. This is a proud moment for me. He said, if everybody on the team had improved as much as Brett, we would be a championship team. Now, I'm not tooting my own horn there, because there was a whole lot of change that needed to happen, and there was a whole lot of improvement that needed to happen. 
But he said to me, and it was a very proud moment, he said, if everybody had improved as much as Brett, we would be a championship team. And that meant a lot to me. So we understand that this transformation is going to take work. There's nothing that's going to be done without work in this transformation that's going to work. We're not going to change if we don't put in the work. And we understand that oftentimes, in order to be motivated to change, we have to see results, right? So if you, if you diet, you want to see results, that your body's changing, that things are happening, and that your clothes are fitting better, and that things are happening. You're, you're motivated to continue this change. And we have to be motivated. We have to see results. So as Christians, what's, what's our motivation? What's our motivation to change? Well, we're told in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Walk in a manner worthy. So what's our, transforma- what's our motivation to transform? What's our motivation to swim against the current? What's our motivation to change? Well, we understand that it causes us to walk in a manner worthy. Well, what does that worthy manner look like that we're now walking in? Well, we're told throughout chapter four, Paul says it looks like love. It looks like unity. It looks like peace. It looks like humility. It looks like forgiveness. You know who it looks like? It looks like Jesus. Absolutely, it looks like Jesus. When we're motivated to change, when we're motivated to put off the new man, to continue to work, to be more like Jesus, to undergo this transformation and swim against the current, we're able to look more like Jesus. This idea of motivation and living for Christ reminds me of a story I heard during the Iraq war. And it was a staff sergeant who was giving an interview to a reporter and he was telling this story of, of being under attack. He and his unit were under attack and the enemy had thrown a grenade and one of his battalion mates fell on that grenade and saved the entire unit. And the reporter asked this staff sergeant, she said, how does that change you? What does that do to you? And he said, well, now I want to live like someone died for me. I want this to change me. I'm gonna continue my life anew now. I'm gonna be a changed person. I'm going to live like someone died for me. Family, how do we live? Like someone died for us, because he did. And he lives for us. And so we live for him. And that's our motivation. And to understand this, this motivation, understand that we can change, that we can swim against the current. There's three key points that I wanna to present to you this morning. And the first is understanding that you are equipped for change. I think there's a slide. Maybe it's the other way. Thank you, Kyler, for the slides. You are equipped for change. We understand our calling, that we have been called out of the world, that we've been called to change, but we still have to live in the world, right? We're still here. We still have this battle raging between the flesh the world, and the spirit in in Jesus. We understand this. And Paul, I think, gives us some some very good perspective because this is something that he struggled himself with. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, Paul tells us that he struggles with this very thing. He says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I will to do, I don't do. But what I hate... I do. He struggled with this, 
this very thought of living in the world, but being called to be changed out of the world. But I'll submit to you this morning that we are equipped to be different. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. When you look at this, this picture, you see all of the gray fish sort of swimming in one direction. That's the current. That's the world. That's everybody swimming in one direction. That's the easy route. That's the way the tide's flowing. And it's the easy way to go that route, correct? But you see that one teal fish has chosen to go a different path, has chosen to swim against the current. We can swim against the current. We can be different. And there is a ton of benefit to swimming against the current in the way we can show people Jesus, in the way we can bring people to Christ. But we are equipped to do this. We're told in Ephesians 1 and 13 and Ephesians 4 and verse 30 that we have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. This has been mentioned so many times and it's so applicable. Kent mentioned it in his talk a few Wednesdays ago that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same power lives in us. We have the Spirit. We have his spirit. We walk in the spirit. Over in Galatians chapter five and verse 16, we're told about walking in the spirit and what this does. Galatians five and beginning in verse 16, Paul says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, if you walk in the spirit, you are not under the law. We walk in the spirit. Well, what is the fruit? What, is, what are the results we see if we walk in the spirit? What's the fruits of the spirit? Joy, love, peace, patience, self-control, gentleness. These are the results we can see as we continue our transformation, as we continue to walk in his spirit that Paul tells us. Walk in the Holy Spirit. So we have the spirit, we walk in the spirit, and we live in grace. We live under the law of grace. Grace given to us by Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 Paul explains this in such a wonderful way concerning his struggles and a conversation he has with Jesus. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I most gladly will boast in my infirmities and my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in, distress, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, he is strong. In our weakness, the power of Christ is able to be shown. And when we commit to change, when we commit to walking in the spirit, when we commit to transforming to the new man, we understand that we start looking more like Jesus and his power to change us is shown through us. It's one of the wonderful things about the gospel. But we have to commit. Yes, we're equipped. We have the spirit. We walk in the spirit. We live in grace. We all need that grace. But we have to commit fully. Several hundred years ago, there was a Spanish conquistador named Hernan Cortez that found what's now Mexico. And he wanted to conquer Mexico for Spain. 
And he sails over with what we're told is less than a thousand men on ships. Obviously sailed on ships, not submarines. Well, I said that. He sails over to Mexico on ships and the Aztec Indians are already inhabitants of this land and there's thousands of them, thousands of them. As legend has it, they disembark from the ships and they're, they're walking, they're getting ready to, to, for battle and Cortez orders them to burn the ships that they sailed over on. So that's as legend has it, you know, think about this for a second. You're walking away from the ships and you're talking to your friend, what's that smell? Are we already building fires? No, general said, burn the ships. What? You mean what we sailed over here on? What if we get our butts kicked? We're done. We have no way to get home. But Cortez believed that they had to commit fully. There was no retreat. He had to remove anything that could be a hindrance to this committing fully to victory. There was no other option from having success and obtaining the goal, which was conquering this new land. So we have to commit fully. But are there things blocking us? Are there ships that we need to burn in our lives? Are there things hindering us from being who Jesus wants us to be? We have the power to change. Are we committing to change? Are there things in our lives that we need to remove that are blocking that change? I'll give you some of mine. Do you ever compare yourself to others? Do you look at other people and think that they've got it all together? That everything's going great in their life and that things aren't going so great in yours and that they're doing something better and differently than you're doing? You ever looked at Facebook? Everything on Facebook is perfect. That's sort of an unfair comparison, isn't it? Every house is clean, everybody's smiling, everybody's wonderful. Only the perfect Taj Mahal pictures get posted on Facebook. Facebook's not real. It's not real life. And it's just my opinion, but I, I, I hate when people compare themselves to that unattainable goal of perfection. Family, we don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect and we're clothed in his righteousness. We don't stand in our own. We don't have any righteousness to stand in but we stand in the righteousness of Jesus and we don't have to be perfect. I had to stop comparing myself to others. Every situation's unique. Every family is unique. You can do the best you can do for your family and that's enough for God if you're doing your best. Don't compare yourself to everybody else. What about distractions or priorities? Such a, a great story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is called to dinner with Martha and Mary, sisters, and they're preparing this feast and dinner for him. And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat, upon, who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was so distracted with much serving that she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus says, focus on me. He tells Martha, focus on me. 
Yes, she wanted her house to be perfect. She wanted everything to, be, to look perfect so she could post it on Facebook. Jesus says, focus on me. He tells us today, focus on me for the good part. The current says, focus on success, focus on job, focus on power, focus on being everything that the world tells you to do. That's what the current says, all the pleasures, all the successes. Jesus says, focus on me. One of my best friends made a decision several years ago to make major changes in his profession, in his career, that allowed him to spend more time with his family, allowed him to be less stressed. Did he equal more money? Not necessarily, but he made that change because he knew he needed to, because he was distracted by the goals of the world and not focused on Jesus, not focused as much on his family as he wanted to be. And I think that's such a wonderful lesson for me to learn. Jesus says, focus on him for the true reward. What about forgiveness? Tim talked about forgiveness a few weeks ago. That's a tricky subject. Can we forgive others? Can we forgive ourselves? Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus forgives others, but it's tough for us. We're in this battle. The flesh says you don't forgive. If you're wronged, you don't forgive. Forgiveness is a key part of my life. I grew up and my father made the decision not to be around me and my siblings, to not be a part of our lives, to go and chase the world and desires of the world. And as I got older and had kids, I really started kind of questioning that decision. A lot of anger and resentment, you know, came with thinking about that. How how do you do that? How do you make that decision? But as I got older and, and a little bit more mature and strive to be more like Jesus, I realized that he needs grace just like I need grace. He makes mistakes just like I make mistakes. He needs grace just like I need grace. Who am I to withhold forgiveness from anyone, right? Who are we to withhold forgiveness from anyone? It's the greatest gift we've been given. It's the greatest gift we can give. Anybody else is forgiveness. And so I forgave. Huge weight was lifted off of me. Instead of anger and resentment, I felt love. I felt peace. I can be a better father now because I've forgiven. It was blocking me from being who Jesus wanted me to be. We have to forgive. We are equipped for change, but we have to remove the things that are blocking us from change. The second key point is to understand that your before Jesus does not define you. Your before Jesus is not the story of your life. Paul uses the word blameless nine times in his letters in the New Testament. And my favorite reference to this idea of being blameless or not guilty is in Romans chapter eight and verse 34, where Paul asks, who is to condemn us? What's Christ Jesus who died, but much more than that was raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God and intercedes on our behalf. This intercession that Jesus provides for us reminds me of a courtroom scene. We're the defendant. We're standing there guilty. We're standing there in our sin. We're going to face certain judgment from the true judge. We have nothing to help us. We have no defense. And Jesus steps in and says, I'm their defense. 
I'm your defense. You're not clothed in my righteousness, not your own. You're not guilty. Keep this in mind. You're before Jesus saved you and pulled you out of darkness is not your story, no matter how long you've been a Christian. And it's not just me saying that. Think about those who follow Jesus. Their before was not their story either. We're barely told anything about these very important characters in the Bible, these followers of Jesus. We're barely told about their befores so often. Mary Magdalene, for instance. We're given a very short sentence about her and Luke. We're first introduced to her where it says that Jesus saved her from demon possession. That's all we're told. That's it. That's all about the before, her before that we know. Now, wouldn't a story, her backstory about these demons, how many there were? We were told there's seven, but what did they do to her? What kind of life did she live? How did she become demon-possessed? Wouldn't that be a pretty powerful story? It'd be a very powerful story, one that, one that we'd probably like to read. But we're not told any of that. Why is that? Why are we not told anything about her before? Because she hadn't met Jesus, because she hadn't been delivered, because her true story was yet to be written. Subsequent to her deliverance by Jesus, we're told a lot of things about Mary Magdalene, a lot of things. We're told she financially supports Jesus' ministry out of her own means. We're told that she stays close to Jesus and his family during the events surrounding his death and his crucifixion and all the events, his trial and everything. We're told ultimately that she's the first person Jesus appears to after his resurrection and the first person to share the greatest news the world has ever known. Her before was not the story. And I'll tell you why. Because focusing on our before, focusing on their before does not bring glory to the rescuer. If we want to bring glory to Jesus, if we want to show people Jesus, we commit to change. We commit to transformation in Jesus. And we live a life walking in a manner worthy after that, after we're saved by Jesus. We don't focus on our before because it's not the true story and it doesn't bring glory to the rescuer. It reminds me of that story I told you all a few minutes ago of this staff sergeant who wanted to live his life to bring glory to his rescuer, to bring glory to his team member who saved his life by giving up his own life. Focusing on our before does not bring glory to Jesus. Walking in a manner worthy of our calling does bring glory to Jesus. We are called to represent Jesus and the life that he saved us from. You are equipped. We have the spirit. We have to remove things from our lives that are blocking our change, but we can change. And our before is not our main story. It does not define who we are. How we live after Jesus, how we live subsequent to our deliverance defines us. The third and final point that I wanna make to you this morning is to submit to you that you are not alone and you are worthy. I'll share with you that nearly all of my mentors 
both male and female, are either in this room right now or they're members of this church and they're just not here this morning. Nearly all of my mentors, both male and female, are here in this room or members of this church. My friends, the people that I choose to spend time with are either in this room or members of this church. If I'm committed to change, it matters who I surround myself with. Iron sharpens iron. We're told that. Who am I surrounding myself with? If I'm committed to change, it's got to be people that are committed to being more like Jesus. People that make me want to be more like Jesus. I'm a product of this body, a body of people. You hear about it takes a village? It took a couple, two tree villages to raise this one. (laughs) But I'm a product of this body, and I'm proud to say that. And I'm proud and thankful of the impact so many, both here and those that are no longer here with us, that are in heaven, had on me. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all of that. And I'm a product of this body. And I never have to feel alone. We're not alone, right? We have a support group. And I'm drawn to people that make me want to be more like Jesus. Who are we drawn to? If we're committed to change, it's going to be people that make us want to be more like Jesus. We're drawn to those people. Is that a fluke or an accident or a coincidence? No, it's not. That's not giving credit to to God. This is part of his plan when he established the church. What an awesome blessing this church family is for all of us. What an awesome blessing it is. And I'm so thankful that my kids get to grow up in this family too. I'm so thankful for that. This is part of God's plan when he established the church. And it's such a blessing for all of us. We understand that our calling as members of this body are to uplift one another. We're told so many times, uplift, edify. And I'll get into a little bit more of what that means to me. We're told to serve one another, love one another, and we're never alone. A couple of weeks ago, Phil did a a lesson on the body of Christ and how each individual member serves such a vital role. And I texted him after and I said, dude, this sermon goes on your Mount Rushmore of sermons. It was just fantastic. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen to it, it was two weeks ago and it went into great detail on exactly the blessings that we find in God's plan in this church family that we have, in the support group that we have. And Phil said, we don't exist independently of the body of Christ. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. It's more than that though, right? We can, we can expand on that a little bit. Yes, there are the events in our lives that get publicized. There are the births. There are the deaths that everybody hears about. But this support is needed for more than that, isn't it? There's private struggles that no one sees. There's times when we may feel less than. Maybe we're comparing ourselves to others and we don't think that we have everything together. We're struggling. What's our place? Why are we here? What what value do we bring to this group? A dear sister was talking to my wife about this and called it the fog. 
sometimes we feel like we're walking through a fog. We don't know why we don't feel like we fit in. We don't know why we feel like we don't have a place. We don't know why we feel disconnected, but we do. Are we able to share those things with each other? Are we able to seek support from each other for those times? I'm gonna give you my opinion on this, and it may not be a popular one, but I feel like we've been conditioned to show this aura of perfection. That we're afraid to show weakness. That we're afraid to share our struggles with each other because they won't think that we're perfect then. I feel like we've oftentimes been conditioned to act that way. Even though Paul says Christ's power is shown through weakness, we can't be weak. We can't show weakness. We can't share this with our brothers and sisters. They won't think I'm perfect then. The body of Christ is more than that. When we're told to edify and uplift one another, it's not just during times that everybody knows about. It's during the times that maybe nobody knows about except your close brother or sister. Are we able to share those things? Family, we're not perfect and we don't have to be because we have Jesus, because we have his righteousness, but we have to be willing to lean on each other. It's been a rough couple of years. We've all been impacted in various ways. Personally, in our family, we've lost. We've lost a lot. We lost a very important member of our family. And I needed, my family needed your support during that time. We needed your prayers. We needed you to uplift us and you were there. And I need your prayers and your support. We need your prayers and your support during these big moments. But I need my people during the times that are not publicized. During the struggles that maybe nobody knows about. I need you during those times too. We need each other during those times too. We have to be willing to lean on each other and this wonderful resource and blessing we've been given in Jesus. You are worthy of your place in the body. You are worthy. You are worthy of your place with Christ. You are worthy of his salvation because he said you are. You are worthy of your place here. You're a vital member of the body here and you provide value. There is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. There is no hierarchy. He doesn't look at some members above other members. We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of Jesus. In this body, there is no hierarchy among the elders. There is no hierarchy among the deacons. There is no hierarchy among the members. We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of Jesus. We're all worthy because Jesus said we were. Not one of us is greater than the other. Not one of us is more worthy than anyone else. And if we live like that, we'll serve each other like that. You are equipped for change. We have been called to change and we have the tools to do it. 
We have Jesus. We have his grace. We have his spirit. We have his power. We are not defined by our before. We're not defined by our life prior to Jesus. Our story is written once we find him again. Once we commit to living closer to him. Once we commit to being more like him and to showing others his power through our weakness. That's your story. Not your before. And you're never alone. You're never alone in Christ. You're never alone in his body. You're not alone. And you are worthy. You're worthy. And we're here to support each other. That's all I've got for you this morning. If you are here this morning and you have not yet begun your walk with Jesus, if you have not yet begun to walk in a manner worthy, this is traditionally when we offer you the chance to come forward and do that. But if not now, do it soon. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Maybe you're already in your walk. Maybe you've committed to transforming, but you're struggling swimming against the current. I have. It's tough. We still have this battle raging inside of us between the flesh and the spirit, a battle we take up every single day. Maybe you're struggling with that. Your elders elders will be down here to pray with you, to talk to you if you choose to do so. If you have any needs this morning, please come forward as we stand and sing. The Lord is in his holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time. God bless. Keep silence before him.